Hello and welcome to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 24 with Ben, aka Fish Sticks, who's arguably one of the more experienced souls in the esports market as a whole. After spending 10 years in the industry, he's been heavily involved with the launch and flourishing of Twitch.tv and now progressing into being an independent esports advisor and analyst in his own right. For those who like the analytic side of the market, would like to learn more about investment trends and what's happening in a business sense, we'd definitely get a lot of information out of this episode. We spent a lot of time talking about different trends, what they mean, um, whether there's going to be a market pullback, whether investment is matched up with valuations and whether these teams are going to be successful in the future and a focus on streaming and content creation and is purchasing of rights the way forward. So make sure you check out bigesports.gg forward slash 24 if you want to check out any of the questions or links. Otherwise, we'll jump straight into the podcast after a quick word from our supporter, PLE Computers. One of the best things you can do for esports in Australia or abroad is support those companies that support you. What we do here in Australia at Big Esports is we've partnered with PLE Computers. They're a PC retailer that sell all of the best gaming gear. They also make a whole bunch of custom PCs, whether it's a full water-cooled massive rig to play Crisis at full graphics, or whether it's something nice and simple to take to LAN parties, play CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite, or otherwise. They've got these different solutions for you. What we're doing with PLE is instead of just a general advertising partnership, we're trying to educate audiences and we're trying to grow the local scene. So PLE are working with us on our mentor courses where we're providing discount on both shipping and parts to the people that join in. We've partnered with them on our high school boot camp where we're educating high school students on mental health, physical health and wellness, along with technology integration, understanding how they can take apart and build their own computers and save money on pre-builds. We're also working with them on this podcast, which we're hoping is educating all of you not only on just talking to cool people and understanding how they think and feel but what their struggles are how their businesses work and how the back end works so if you're looking to support a company that supports the scene make sure you check out ple at ple.com.au and grab yourself a bargain Ben, thank you very much for joining us today, mate. You've uh, broken the streak we've had a couple of aussies on the line and, and now we've got a true blue american how are you i'm doing quite well thanks for having me yeah, fantastic. So I think I'd love to get you to start the same way that pretty much everyone starts. Can you give us a bit of a background as to you know where you came up in esports, where you started and how you got to where you are today? Uh, for myself, I think I'm like a lot of people who are working in this industry in that I've been a competitive gamer for my entire life, You know, way back when starting as a tribes player back when I was about 11 or so. Uh, ever since then, competitive gaming has been part of my DNA. So it, it's no stretch at all to say it's been a lifelong passion. Um, and I've been really lucky to actually have it be my career as well for about the ten, last 10 years or so. Um, so I think most people probably know me as a, one of the early founding members of Twitch. Uh, I joined the Justin TV team right when they had decided that they wanted to pivot to gaming uh, in early 2011. They were looking for somebody who had connections, had understanding of esports in particular, but also just the general gaming scene. And uh, I was lucky enough to get connected to uh, to Justin TV back then uh, and joined as the first gaming hire uh, as they decided to pivot to gaming. And then about three months later, we launched, launched Twitch. Four years after that, Twitch got bought by Amazon for a billion dollars. And then about four years after that is today. Yeah, fantastic. So where are you currently sitting in the market? Uh, I'm currently working on my own thing right now. It's still very much under wraps, but uh, I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna use air quotes here. I'm I'm an esports consultant for the time being. Uh, I, I use air quotes just because it's kind of a meme in the community to to uh, to talk down on the esports consultants yeah. <laughs> of the industry. But that is what I've been doing to to keep myself busy. Uh, but in the background, I've been working on my own esports project, which hopefully will be coming to light over the next couple of months. Yeah, and like you said, you know, the word esports consultant can be a bit of a dirty word. So if if you were advising a company, let's say they wanted to pick up yourself and someone else, how would you like how would you say they should go about picking an esports consultant? Is there a formula? Um, I think <laughs> I don't know if there's a specific formula. I would say just go with the the same criteria if you're going to be hiring somebody. I mean, there's a lot of people. The reason why esports consultant has such a bad reputation is because of how many people are on LinkedIn. 
who would just say I'm an esports consultant mm. because I've played video games my whole life, which of course is great. Uh, but there's, you know, there are billions of people who've been playing video games their entire lives. Um, so I, I would just look to see what they've actually done and accomplished. If their resume is a bunch of maybe consulting gigs and not a lot of, hey, I, I created something or, hey, I was on the ground floor of something uh, or, hey, I helped build something, uh, then I would probably look elsewhere. Yeah, and I guess that's the great advantage of esports is that you, it's pretty easy to get that hands-on experience. So I think that if you're trying to work with someone who hasn't, they've probably gone out of their way to not do those things. And it's a, I mean, I was just doing an interview before we recording this podcast talking about the same kind of stuff, you know, especially in early stage esports, as, as you know, too well, if you're running a tournament, you're not just, you know, the tournament operator, you're likely also doing the sponsorship proposals, you're plugging in power boards, you're checking tickets at the door, you might be doing marketing and social media management at the same time. So, you know, there's, there's so many skills you can pick up across the board, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're totally right that it's to make it in esports. Traditionally, I, I guess I should give the caveat that I'm talking about the last 10 years. Things are definitely changing. But mm. uh, for most of my peers that are around my age, you know, give or take five or 10 years who've been doing esports for five or 10 years, almost everybody started from, hey, I'm going to go out and create a YouTube channel and do a bunch of interviews. Inter- interviews. Hey, I'm going to go out and create a website that does news and does uh, a newsletter and, you know, has aggregates scores and schedules. Hey, I'm going to go out and found a team. Most of these people that are kind of uh, the, the, the haymakers, the people really moving and shaking in the industry kind of came from that background where you built it yourself and you did a little bit of everything. Now, I, I would say that's definitely changing, uh, Chris, because you know, things uh, as things mature, you know, people are looking for more specialists and less less kind of jack of all trades. Mm. Um, and, and, and and this is just, a, I think, an indi- indication of how the industry has changed over the last five years or so. But yeah, people are, are these days are looking for, hey, do you have a business degree? Do you have an MBA? How good are you, are you at financial modeling? And, uh, and, you know, those types of things like that's becoming more important. But I would say for the majority of people who've made an esports uh, a career for themselves, that was their that was how they started, you know, just building it from the ground up, getting their hands dirty. Yeah, and and could you could you pinpoint an inflection point as to when, you know, degrees and, and such started becoming such more prevalent in the space? Could you put a year against it or maybe a milestone? Um, I mean, I obviously it depends on where you're looking in the industry. I think hmm. the set, there's been savvy folks who've been trying to what they're doing a little bit more financially responsible. Um, you know, we've seen such such a massive amount of investment pour into esports over the last five, six years or so, particularly focused around the last two or three years. Uh, that, you know, traditionally it's been, oh, esports is a buzzword. Esports is this industry that's blowing up. It's gonna be bigger than mainstream sports. I think all of these things are still true and people still still see that as the future. That's why the money continues to pour into our industry. But within the last couple of years, I would say the last two to three years, it's the the, the tone has kind of changed uh, to, hey, when are we going to start seeing return our, on our investment? When, mm. when are we going to start seeing this industry uh, make more money than is being put into it? Uh, so things have definitely changed. You know, even, even guys like me who have built something and have this incredible passion and incredible Rolodex and incredible uh, understanding of the industry. Uh, wow. I just sounded like I'm tooting my own heart, but uh, <laughs> even guys like me who have that kind of background are a little bit less uh, uh, of in high demand than, than we once were um, just because people are looking for that business, uh, that guy with a, a master's, uh, you know, a, a, a guy with or girl with uh, the financial modeling background. Uh, I, I would say that's changed more so in the last two or three years. Not that it's one or the other, um, but it, it's just kind of changing slightly over time. Yeah, and I'd, I'd love to, I guess on a similar topic and a similar note to that, I'd love to get your answer. And I'm sure you get the, get this asked a lot of you. Are there likenesses between the dot-com bubble and esports? Or if so, what are they? Or what are the major differences as to why it isn't the same? Uh, well, the thing about esports is 
I hope that investors and people who are coming into the industry from the outside really have a long-term uh, thought process here. Yes, esports has grown exponentially um, for years. Uh, I mean, I, I would I would go so far as to say as basically every single year since 2008, 2009, 2010, yeah. esports has grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. And hopefully that continues for many more years. It's not going to continue forever. But what you can be very certain of is that there are more gamers than ever. And every year there's more gamers than the year before. And the generation that grew up watching esports and, you know, my my current generation, which is kind of like wave two or wave three of esports, um, where I, when I really, really started getting involved was kind of in the Street Fighter 4, Starcraft 2, League of Legends, Dota 2 uh, era of esports, which started you know around 2008, 2009, 2010 my generation is going to grow up and have kids. Um, and then they're going to teach their kids to watch esports rather than mainstream sports. You know, mm-hmm. cable television subscriptions are dropping through the floor while esports continues to grow and grow and grow. So it's, it, it looks optimistic. It feels optimistic. If you have an extremely long-term scope, I think you can't go wrong Placing your bet on esports. That said, that doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't a bit of an overinflation in in how people are placing values on esports companies right now. Um, particularly, the hot topic is always teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, you're hearing from Forbes and from everyone else that the top five teams are all being valued at over $200 million, um, even up to $300 or, or million or more. Uh, I think Forbes had an article saying Cloud9 is is on the list of the next billion-dollar companies out there. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, everyone loves to debate this because I, I would just say, I won't, won't name any names, but I would just say from my personal friends, my personal peers, the people that I know very well and trust in the industry, there's always been this fear that particularly the teams are overvalued and it's their value is a little bit inflated right now. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more tempered. First of all, who the hell knows? Um, second of all, I think if these VCs and these investors have this ultra long-term vision, you know, not five years, not maybe not even 10 years, but 15 to 20 years down the road, if these teams continue to, um, you know, hold their position, you know, games will come and go, but a team in theory can potentially outlast a game. I think that, you know, there could be something there, but if you're just looking at the value today, yes, I mean, there, there's a huge overinflation in the value of almost every single esports team. You know, none of them are bringing even close to the revenues that they're burning for the most part, except for a few, uh, a few, uh, a few different examples of teams that are kind of on the cutting edge. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. We talked to the co-founder of Fnatic, Anne Matthews. She concluded that European-based teams are often much more realistic with their valuation as opposed to the US teams. So, yeah, do you agree with that? Um, I, I honestly, I haven't really thought too much about the topic. Pro- probably what is unarguable is that there's a lot more VC money flowing in, in North America. So mm. I, I don't know if it's the European esports teams are just more frugal and more smart about it, or if that there's just a lot more dumb money um, flowing around in North America. That, that I mean, certainly could be the case. I mean, when you're talking about Fanatic, you're talking about one of the strongest brands in all of esports with many, many, many millions of followers across social media. I mean, mm. Fanatic has just that brand that that really has always stood out in esports. Um, and so they, you know, they can certainly be valued very highly for that. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that maybe I wouldn't say that the European teams are just like smarter about valuations. Probably just there's a lot less money out in Europe right now. Although that also uh, has changed as there's Within the last six months, there's like three new esports only VCs in Europe, which has been a interesting, you know, little little side note there, but an interesting trend. Yeah, yeah, definitely an interesting trend, and a lot of money raised from some of these VCs, and and a lot of staff working at the VC companies managing their investments. So I wanted to kind of keep the 
keep the discussion with you going around investment. I think, you know, that's one of your strong points. So I'm wondering if you could quickly run over any trends you see in investment in esports at the moment. Obviously, teams is something that we've talked about, and that's they're, they're foremost in the media. So are, are teams the hot property right now and kind of, you know, what's happening next? Uh, it's hard, kind of hard to argue against the teams being the the one area that's gotten the most VC. Um, I mean, when you're talking about esports startups, there are you know dozens which have raised raised in the million to I don't know three million range. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in this startup scene, but the teams are raising 25, 30, 40, 50 million. A single team is raising as much as you know. 10, 20 different startups put together. Um, mm. So definitely the most of the investment is still going there. Um, obviously, you've got Overwatch League, which is going to require such an absurd amount of investment to build stadiums in all of these cities around the world. So that's where a lot of the money is going. A lot of the money is going to franchising fees for LCS and Overwatch League, which hopefully provides lots of value to these teams long term. Um, I mean, in terms of other opportunities in the space, you you really just have to ask yourself where esports, you know, esports as big as it is, there's still a lot of barriers to entry uh, to becoming a fan of esports, to becoming a player. Um, you know, so many startups have tried to be the the bracket software to end all bracket software, um, but in my opinion, uh, one thing that honestly I think was better about esports in 2006 and 2007 than it is even today was open leagues in all of the major titles that anyone could join and play. And it was really obvious. Everyone knew the name. Everyone knew where to go. Everyone played on the same services. Um, mm. it, you know, I, I'm... I'm kind of a dinosaur here when I'm talking about this really old school stuff. So I hope I'm, I'm not boring your viewers too much. But um, <laughs> if you go back, it was Cal and CPL, um, you know, that at least in North America, everyone knew about this. I mean, I had friends in high school who were not, would never consider themselves hardcore gamers ever, even back then. When, and they would pay $10 per season to be in, a, in Cal. Um, mm. I don't know of anything that exists like this today. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for why that might be, um, you know, in-game matchmaking wasn't a thing back then. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest reason is that people are getting their competitive fix in other ways. But I think there's big opportunities in getting people in the door to play as well as getting people in the door to, you know, understand and enjoy esports. I mean, I think these are both major opportunities. Yeah, I definitely think you're right. The fragmentation of the esports industry, which, which is kind of what I label it as, is something that's happened all over the world. I mean, you know, here in Australia, for example, it used to become so easy to promote your upcoming event or product because there was only two forums that everybody talked on. Now there's, you know, dozens or, or hundreds even Facebook groups alone and you don't know which one's targeted perfect. Mm -hmm. Then you've got, you know, communities within Twitter, across LinkedIn, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and, and some forums, you know, with minimal reach these days as well. So it's no longer the fact of, if you use Australia as an example, it's no longer the fact of that if you're doing something on Counter-Strike, you're posting on Got Games. That's the only place. That's where everybody hangs out. Now, you know, you've got to try to find your way or or maybe you've got to pay to play where you've got to chuck some some of your VC earned money into Facebook to do some marketing. Yeah, and social social media is incredible. Um, it, it's awesome. But you're you're completely correct that it's just led to this situation where everything is super distributed and segmented across like a bunch of different websites and, and subreddits. And mm. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and obviously Reddit isn't you know Reddit is one that that I didn't mention as well. And you know for anyone who follows you online, there's been a massive surge in in the esports subreddit which you're involved in as well. So you know maybe that's uh, maybe that's a place where people will start some some good discussion. I hope so. Go subscribe today reddit.com slash r slash esports fantastic it's just turning it's turned into a pure ad for you i think at the moment which is perfectly fine with me 
So, I mean, there's there's been a lot of discussion uh, across LinkedIn and, and within different circles around the esports market and a possible pullback that's coming. You mentioned yourself that, you know, a lot of teams, their revenue isn't matching their outgoings. Forbes, like you mentioned before as well, also stated that there's one cash flow positive T1 esports team in the world. So, do you think that there's a pullback coming or is the uh, is sponsorship from, you know, new non-endemic brands such as Honda, et cetera, going to match that or, or catch up to pace quickly enough? Um, I So, I, I like that you use the word pullback um, because people like to scream doom and, doom and gloom. Mm. Uh, when they see that there's a potential bubble coming, they're, they're, they're running for the hills. Everything's screwed. It's all going to come crashing down. I've heard that sentiment. So much around Overwatch League in particular. Um, I I think it's clear to me uh, that we are past the point of uh, of the industry itself being uh, kind of threatened by the potential to have some sort of contraction in the future. Um, that said, you know, back in two thousand eight during the global financial recession. Esports almost died. I mean, it really almost died. Um, out of the biggest tournament organizers, Cal and CPL, which I mentioned before, was was one of them, if not the biggest, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of them died. Um, ESL, MLG, DreamHack lived, and they're kind of at the top of independent tournament organizers now. But uh, today, there's no no way that esports could ever chopped into a quarter of what it once was again that said there is so much more money in esports now that the net loss could end up being very significant in terms of amount of investment um i think a lot of people who are really smart about this stuff uh i've been watching on twitter uh some people in the vc space um friends of mine as well i've talked about the fact that the consolidation will be hard for uh for especially smaller teams, especially smaller games, you may see a lot of the smaller teams uh, go get absorbed by the bigger teams or just not be able to compete. Because today, how is a smaller team going to compete in Overwatch or League of Legends Mm. where there are millions of dollars in franchising fees? How is a smaller team even going to compete in a Tier 2 or Tier 3 eSport title when Cloud9, TSM, Team Liquid... Uh, Echo Fox, uh, Envious, Fnatic all have millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in VC, you know, tens of millions of dollars in VC, and they're going to be able to pay and get the best teams and get the best players. Um, so I think consolidation is almost almost for sure going to happen. I mean, we're probably going to see another financial, like global financial, um, not, I wouldn't say crash, but contraction as well. And I think that will impact the industry, you know, uh, pretty much relatively so uh to to what's happening in the in the global financial uh markets but yeah i think you know i think that i mean that's pretty much all i have to say on that it's like yeah it's there's likely going to be a financial uh tightening in esports it won't spell doom and gloom in fact i think even games like overwatch are going to be fine for a long long time um but uh you know the, there could certainly be a pulling back which will disproportionately affect you know smaller or yeah and I, I wanted to get your opinion on kind of the sponsorship side of things and i'm definitely finding a lot of what you're saying is similar to what ann matthews was saying from Fnatic, and i want to get some of your opinions on on some of her opinions i guess which is about non-endemic sponsors so ones that aren't you know inherently involved in the market obviously like i mentioned honda's come into the space but you know she's identified that the non-endemics have been quite slow to mature and slower than most people have predicted do do you agree with that and what are the main sticking points for that you think that's stopping you know virtually any company that's looking for the millennial male audience which is almost any of them what's stopping them actually pulling the trigger and jumping in on esports well, I'll give the caveat that I've never worked kind of on the sales side myself. Kind of my career has been much more marketing, partnerships, content, things like that, business development. But um, so I don't really have any experience directly working with brands. What I will say is that over the years, we've kept hearing that esports is a buzzword. We keep seeing it uh, in mainstream media. It went from nothing to one of the most powerful 
forces in digital media, period. Mm. It's on the tip of investors' tongues. It's on the tip of brands' tongues. The viewership is there. Um, but yet we haven't seen the level of adoption from the these kind of non-endemic uh, sponsors and brands as a lot of people had kind of expected. And this is this has been a learning for me, honestly, because uh, you know, in my seven and a half years at Twitch, I kind of gained an understanding for this as well. It's it's almost cliche all the time in in advertising lingo. You talk about this eighteen to thirty five male wealthier demographic, which is exactly the demographic that uh, that is watching esports. Mm. Yet still, you're not seeing these major brands pile on. I think it's just such a long learning process a lot of the time, and even even at a major brand, you might have a younger, savvier marketing person who really, really gets esports and gets what that audience could mean to them and gets that there's an opportunity and maybe the the prices won't be as high. But there's such a risk in taking a brand into such a new arena like that. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of it's kind of a rough situation because you have these uh, these media buyers who uh, are trying their best to get value for for uh, for the brands that they're working with, but if they give them too much value, then you know on the ad network side, you know their their boss isn't going to be happy. So like it's always it's just this weird balance that you have to strike, uh, where you know I, I don't know. I, I I always thought that brands would be jumping on faster just for all the same reasons that I mentioned before. Mm. It's a buzzword. It's the right demographic. In a way, in a lot of cases, it's actually a lot cheaper than mainstream sports and things like that to sponsor. But man, I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you beyond that just since I haven't really worked directly with brands. But, you know, every single month we're seeing a new mainstream. I mean, Coke just sponsored Overwatch League. Just news came out two days ago. Honda just jumped in with, uh, what was it, uh, Team Liquid. Mm. You know, it's happening um, just in bits and pieces. Yeah, and I guess a lot of the time it happens in batches, right? You see the energy drinks coming in batches, um, and then we've got the automotive coming in, in in a bit of a batch at the moment. So, yeah, it's interesting for me thinking, what's next, but also what's stopping these companies coming in? And I definitely wanted to reflect on the point that you said about the education pathway being, being quite long, and that's something that I've seen here in our market working with a lot of non-endemics because you're asking a lot of them you know you, you go to them with the buzzword and they understand that they understand they want to reach the the millennials you know the people with some disposable income of which you know especially that exists in australia with with a higher minimum wage etc but you're still asking them to remove budget from another section which you know they've got some attachment to and give it to you because you know while a lot of people in esports think that these companies have unlimited money they don't and they have to understand their spending and justify it to their higher ups so you know it can be quite a few months worth of just keeping in touch with people and that can be hard when you're a startup that needs to make money because your vcs are knocking saying hey you know where's the revenue what's going on they've bought into the hype and yeah they don't want to see a they don't want to see a crypto bust which you know like you said isn't very likely to happen but that could be in the back of their minds mm-hmm. yeah perfect so i wanted to take a little bit to to touch on streaming and and rights holding which is you know an area that you come from especially with the content so you know a lot of people have been saying over many many years that a big part of the traditional sports market is rights and rights holders for broadcasting that doesn't exist in in esports in a large way there are you know some parts coming into that is that the answer for esports revenue to come in or should we be looking at something different oh man this is uh this is honestly a really like i could talk on this for a long long time this is frankly this is like one of my biggest uh concerns about the future of our industry um the long-term future of our industry mm-hmm. right now facebook Amazon, aka Twitch, YouTube. No, Microsoft has jumped into the fray with Mixer. You've got Caffeine, who just raised more money than God. I don't, I don't understand that one, but uh, you've got literally four of the largest companies, the largest tech companies in America, have all put their wallets and their their best engineers and their best product people and their best marketing people behind trying to win the war of streaming. 
And what that's resulted in is really, really obscene amounts of money going to the content creators. So if you're a if you're one of the biggest content creators on on any of these platforms, forget like you're getting subs, you're getting donations, you're getting ad revenue, you're getting sponsorships, but also Twitch, Amazon, aka Amazon, uh, Microsoft, Google, and Facebook are all competing for you to to be on their platform. So I'm talking about individual content creators, but this also expands to all of the leagues. So you're right in that mainstream sports, one of the primary sources of revenue is, and always has been, or from, from for decades has been broadcast rights. So NBC will get rights, TNT will get rights, ABC will get rights, so on and so forth. And that is one of the primary forms of revenue for the sports leagues. You're right that it's different, although I would say it's not totally different because Twitch is playing broadcast rights. I mean, the, the most infamous, famous uh, deal of this kind was with Overwatch League, mm-hmm. where Twitch reportedly paid $90 million for two years, which is by far the biggest uh, broadcast rights um, acquisition, I think, in esports history. Uh, so Twitch did pay that. And you better believe that um, esports leagues up and down the ticket are also getting paid for their uh, for for kind of exclusivity on each of these different platforms or or lack of exclusivity. I mean, you've seen so much of ESL's content exclusive on Facebook over the last year or two because Facebook is willing to pay obscene amounts of money for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, they're all operating very much like Bay Area tech startups or tech tech companies do, in that they're trying to win to the point where they don't have to make those crazy investments anymore. I mean, you look at a company like Amazon, they lived on the razor's edge for 20 years, reinvesting every single spare dollar they had into getting more cup customers, you know, improving the 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 flow of products from the conveyor belt to to the consumer so that it they could outcompete every other uh, every other online retailer. I think in a in a very different way, but this I'm kind of stretching this analogy a bit. But I think similar things are happening on the streaming front, where these companies are willing to spend more money than it's than this content is actually making them because they want to win in that space. It's all all of this content is free, right? You're watching it for free. I'm watching it for free. Almost every single bit of esports content that has been produced in the last eight years has been completely free. There have only been a very tiny handful of pay-per-view events in the history of esports over the last 10 years. Um, I can count them on less, you know, on, on one hand that I can think of off the top of my head. And uh, that's the main difference between esports uh, revenue models and mainstream sports models. In mainstream sports, you pay for cable. ESPN gets a cut. TNT gets a cut. You know, in MMA, obviously, you've got pay-per-view. Esports doesn't have that yet. So I don't want that to happen. I love the fact that esports content is all free. It's incredible. It's one of the primary things that has driven such rapid growth. That said, which even though it's Amazon, even though it's Facebook, even though it's Google, they can't continue to take a loss on content licensing forever. So this is, uh, I think, a long-term concern for the industry is either we're going to have to see subscription models, we're going to have to see alternative forms of monetization, or a lot of that money is going to eventually dry up. That was a good answer. Definitely something you've uh, definitely something you've thought about for a while. I, I apologize. I just went on for like 10 minutes, I know, but... That's okay. No, I, th- I find it really interesting because I guess to to, parif- to to give you a bit of background, a lot of people ask me, and I'd be interested if you could ask the same question, is, you know, what do I think of traditional sporting people that don't like esports? And often I say, I couldn't care less because we're creating our own industry. You know, we don't have to adhere to their norms or to their business structures or whatever. But then so often the discussion goes back to, well, the only reason why esports everyone isn't rolling in money right now is because of streaming rights. So I love to ask the question of people like yourself is, is that the answer, you know, or, or is there an alternative? And I guess that's the next question for you is, okay, if esports does stay free, what's, what's the alternative? Is it more sponsorship revenue or is it a new model we need to find? Uh, I'll start with sponsorships. 
uh, just because there have been a lot of reports um, coming from those big data websites, um, NewZoo, FanAI, um, Superdata, that uh, particularly I'm re- referencing a NewZoo report that I think it said worldwide the average esports fan spends like four dollars a month or a year or something like that uh on esports related products uh whereas the average nba fan spends 20 and the average nfl fan spends 30 so Mm. um there's a lot that we that of of room for improvement on generating revenue from esports fans um and I think great ways of doing that are, I mean, great tried and true proven ways of doing that are, are things like the Dota 2 uh, International Compendium, which raises 20, what was it, 28 million? I, 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 I'm trying to, I'm struggling to remember the exact amount, but it was 20, 20 plus million for the last two or three years uh, in a row for fans who are just crowdfunding the prize pool for Dota. Mm. Um, mind you, uh, it was only 25% of Dota compendium purchases that went to that prize pool. So that means that Valve for TI in a huge stadium in Seattle, who God knows how much that costs. I have no idea how much that costs, but they at very least raised 75 million in additional funds from the compendium. Um, I think Overwatch League, a lot of people like to give it guff, but I'm an Overwatch fan. I like Overwatch League a lot. I literally, right about an hour ago, I purchased the season pass for this season of Overwatch League, which gives me a whole bunch of emoticons on Twitch. It gives me skins in-game. It gives me their event viewer um, where you can decide which player you want to watch. I think monetization in in the form of digital uh, benefits is a really great way of doing doing this because the content is still free if you don't if you're not able to afford paying for the event, which I love. And then those who can't afford it, who are super passionate, who do want to support uh, what they love, can then do so with additional subscriptions, revenue, donations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Donations isn't the right word, but uh, subscriptions or or digital items. I think that's great. Um, And I think more of that can only be good for everyone. It's not like it hurts anyone as long as you're still providing the same service for free. Um, So I'd love to see more of that. Obviously, sponsorships, we have a ways to go. But I mean, we've already talked about that quite a bit. I don't I don't know the answer for next steps with sponsors. I think it's just going to be continuing uh, to grow the industry and continuing to get that mainstream exposure and salespeople at every major team and every major league just, you know, hitting, hitting the grindstone, you know, hitting the pavement. Um, I don't know what the, the answer is for that um, generally. But yeah, I mean, I think there's tons of room to get more money from individuals. Um, I, I think pay-per-view is okay. If you're if you're going to do something super special that no one else is doing and have incredible production value, I think pay per view is okay. I really hope that the esports industry can figure out a way to keep the broadcasts free. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I don't think Amazon and Facebook and 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 Google are going to pay the same exorbitant licenses as they as they have before without trying to find revenue in other ways. But I really, really hope that the industry could find a way to keep that that stuff free. And are, are there any specific innovations in esports that have impressed you over the past five or ten years, or anything that you're tracking? You know, one one thing you mentioned that's quite awesome is the ability in Overwatch to purchase a season pass and and watch the player perspective. But is there anything that's as hard hitting or more so for you? Hmm, hard to say. I mean, I think Twitch has been on the forefront here um, for a long time mm-hmm. with uh, things like connect your Battle.net account and then you are eligible to get drops of items. This isn't even new anymore. This isn't even like flashy new technology. I mean, Dota has done it. CSGO has done it. Smite has done it. Overwatch has done it. StarCraft has done it. Many, many games have done it now for years, but I think that one's very cool. Get benefits for actually watching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nothing else really, really jumps out super recently i mean i i chuckle on the inside when you mention how cool it is to have that technology to watch your favorite player and just be able to control the broadcast Mm. i chuckle because my first games in esports were quake and tribes where you could do that uh 20 years ago 
um yeah <laughs> in a very different form <laughs> but, but some, yeah. sometimes you feel like you come full circle right i yeah. guess it's what people complain about with apple when they create something and you know and claim it's their own idea because uh, like we've been doing this for a long time in dota 2 for example right where you could mm-hmm. purchase an in-game ticket to watch a dota 2 tournament it's combined with items and then you can pick what commentators you want to listen to across a broad range of different languages studios or you could listen to none and you know do your own work throughout that time all right, so I guess you know keeping the keeping the analyst hat on for you. This is a this is a common question. Is there a specific place you go to to find trends within the market? Is there a formula, or you know where do you where do you get your information from to stay up to date? Uh, I'm completely obsessed and addicted to social media, so I'm I'm on Twitter and Reddit basically all day, just subscribed to and following. Pretty much everyone I can think of who's relevant and every subreddit that I can think of is relevant. Not everyone has that kind of time. Um, you know, esports is my career. It's my life. It's what I'm doing. So this works for me. I, I don't think it's going to work for anyone else that isn't trying to go full time in esports like tomorrow. Mm. Um, that, I mean, that's that's my strategy for staying in touch with, with with what's going on. It's still too hard, though. I mean, it shouldn't be so difficult to keep your finger on the pulse of esports um i i I this really frustrates me about the industry is it's so segregated in fact it's actually more segregated now than ever because when i when in the previous era of esports prior to 2008 it was entirely almost entirely run by third-party tournaments so the uh, ESWCs and the MLGs and the in the DreamHack. Well, DreamHack wasn't really too relevant back then, but mm. the ESLs and the IEMs, uh, these major tournament third-party tar- tournament providers had a bunch of different games that they that they supported. So there was at least some level of cohesiveness. You could go to an MLG and watch Halo, and then watch StarCraft, and then watch a League of Legends exhibition. Um, you know, you can still do that at DreamHack. I think DreamHack is the last bastion of this kind of old system of esports um but today since blizzard and riot and uh and even even for smaller games you know capcom runs capcom pro tour uh you have ubisoft running you know the rainbow six pro league all of these games are happening in and these leagues are happening in complete isolation to one another um which has only gotten worse over the years so you know th- this this is uh this does bother me Uh, about the industry but you know that's why my only strategy is just to be completely addicted to social media and spend way too much time on it information overload is the the only way to go forward (laughs) for me at least yeah no i i agree 100 percent, and that's the same way that i that i keep in touch i don't think there's a specific formula but often you know just kind of tell people to do what suits them best some people like to read articles some people like to read reports and some people like to just stuff as much information in their head as possible so it sounds like we're on pretty much the same page as far as that goes. And it is and it is hard because if you liken it traditional sports, right? If you're as you are like an esports advisor and analyst, how hard would it be to be a quote unquote sports analyst where you have to be up to date with what's happening in golf and gridiron and the Formula One and also, you know, dirt bike racing and hardcore surfing, you know, in Hawaii. You have to un- you have to have a base knowledge and understanding of trends of what's happening in the market and developments in all of those at once, it can't be easy. It can't be easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and interesting, I guess, on that, I keep coming to that fragmentation point of a growing industry. And there was a um, some some reports come out from Tort Delaney who wrote some articles about uh, different uh, media properties within esports and how you know media and esports has struggled quite often. There's been the rise and fall of quite a few different brands over the years. But one that seems to stand quite tall and strong is hltv.org which focuses on one game so do you think that maybe you know that's a that's a trend that should be brought back simplifying things rather than trying to put too much information in one space oh i mean hltv is great and it works for the csgo audience i think i I actually also saw that article that you're talking about um about kind of these media organizations which have been successful and which haven't Mm. i think that one of the uh, one of the common themes about the ones that have been successful is that they've stayed at it for a long time. Um, HLTV has been around forever. Mm. It caters only to CSGO and CSGO fans know that they can go there to find the bracket schedules, articles, 
video content, so on and so forth. This is, um, I think that's fine. Um, but also, you know, the most prominent media organization in esports in the previous era was something called Gotfrag, which did wonderful quality. Well, at, for the time, it was like revolutionary quality content mm. about all esports. And they had a website for all esports. Unfortunately, MLG bought the Gotfrag domain and all of the people, you know, or select people that worked for them and did complete nothing, completely zero with that brand. And it just died. I mean, I personally think if Gotfrag never died and continued to produce that content, continued to do shows, do podcasts, do scores, do highlights, do all that, I think Gotfrag would be the biggest organization in esports. But honestly, who has even tried to do that to that level? Um, you could argue ESPN has their esports vertical, but really it's all about the articles. I mean, they don't do much other than just, you know, deep dive articles. Daily Dot tried, same thing. Um, the score esports is one that is interesting to me because they're actually creating really, really, really high quality content about basically every major esport over on YouTube, but they're not really trying to do it in, in a media company, like through, uh, through their portal. They're basically just a YouTube channel. Mm. Now it's like, as far as I can tell, that's their primary business. I could be totally wrong about that, but it's at least a large part of their business. Um, so, I mean, you're never going to stop, stop. Counter-Strike fans from going to HLTV org, I don't think that means that there isn't room for someone to bring that all in-house, for sure. Yeah, some fantastic points. That's good. You obviously thought about this one before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of, you know, wrapping up, we've got a couple of questions still to go. What, another thing I want to ask about is the esports market as a whole. Is there oversaturation in certain areas in the market, and what would they be? You know, oversaturation used to be such a common term because we saw it a bunch of times basically like starcraft 2 came out and was wildly popular and mm. by the way starcraft 2 is why twitch exists um you know the the justin tv founders found themselves watching starcraft beta streams when the beta first came out much more than anything else and they saw that as the vertical that was growing by far the fa fastest out of anything else they started watching starcraft streams all day viewership was exploding no one had ever seen online streaming numbers like this before so consistently over time. So what happened, there was an overinvestment in StarCraft and it went from, oh man, every other week or every or once a month, there's a major tournament and all the players are there and it's going to get 70, 80, 90, 100,000 concurrent viewers and it's the entire community piles in. It reaches outside of the community to bring people in from outside. It went from that to, oh my God, it's another StarCraft tournament every single weekend. So We've seen oversaturation. Mm. It happened in StarCraft. It happened in Dota. It happened in Counter-Strike. I don't think it's as big of a problem be anymore because League, you know, League is entirely controlled by Riot and they have their League format where they have NALCFs, they have European LEC, they have LCK for Korea, they have Leagues for Southeast Asia and Japan and Taiwan and Brazil. And that that allows for these individual scenes to kind of grow on their own. I think Riot is doing a really good job in that respect. I mean, Overwatch, there's there's actually a dearth of content. There's uh, undersaturation. I mean, Overwatch League is a lot of content for a couple of months, but then we've been, you know, Overwatch League is about to start next week, and we have been in such a drought of quality uh, Overwatch esports content. It's like I forget what watching Overwatch esports was like. It's been so long. Mm. It's been months. Um I mean, I think obviously Valve is does not regulate their pro scenes very well or, or very much, I should say, uh, well as subjective. So you still, you know, I think you still potentially have oversaturation in CSGO. But like what's happened is the top teams just realize that they don't need to go to every single event. So you still have the better events, you know, shining through. Um, so... I don't think oversaturation is is necessarily a problem. I'm I'm not convinced that it ever was necessarily a problem. I think you know there are cases where the ROI started getting too thin for hosting an event, mm -hmm. and guess what? The market corrected, and there was less events. So I think it all balances out in the end. Mm, the market gets what the market wants. Yes, very true. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I find that point from you very interesting about the dry spell of Overwatch content between seasons. And I've, I've been trying to work with a few people 
in Australia to fix things like that, um, like the Oceanic Pro League, which is our League of Legends, you know, minor um, league here. Same same issue, you know, Monday to Wednesday, there's zero on the Twitch channel, or I think it's Monday to Thursday. There's nothing. There's not much social media content, and it's yeah, it's a massive dry spell. Is that an issue that you see with most of these franchising leagues, or is it just just Overwatch that's played? Um, I think you kind of touched on something something almost different to then just the pure amount of actual esport content, like actual competition. I think you you kind of just referenced the social media content and the other stuff mm. because I would say that's I would say that's an area where esports is undersaturated as a whole. Um, I know, sorry, I'm taking your question and running in a slightly different direction, but that's oh, fine. Um, I, I I also see an opportunity for high quality esports content beyond the actual esports leagues and tournaments. I mean, podcasts are getting bigger all the time, but I don't know of many high quality. I mean, I say that as I'm on an esports podcast right now, but <laughs> I don't know of many high quality uh, esports podcasts that are, you know, listened to by a large amount of people. I don't mm. even for individual games, it barely exists. Like you've got guys like Richard Lewis and Thorin who do a lot of shows on YouTube, but that's it's not very hard to it's not very easy to find. You know, this comes back to my previous problem. The content is also segregated. It's also uh, you know distributed across social media channels and YouTube channels and subreddits. Mm-hmm. There's no good place to really find all of this. Um, so I, I and I, I just don't think there's enough of it. I mean, um, I, I come from an era of where I, I the, basically my foot in the door to esports was a show called Live on Three that was produced by DJ Wheat, Slasher, and Sir Scoots back starting i think 2009 and it ran till you know it ran for a couple of years but really it's it's heyday was i think 2010 2011 um 2012 i don't see any other uh show that has even come close to the you know the model that they had where every single week they talked to you know the the whoever whoever won the most recent biggest tournament, whether it's one or two th- people or or a, a team or two, esports has gotten way bigger, so this would be a lot harder to do now. But they did a talk show where they talked about all of the news of the week. They talked about all of the tournaments and what happened. They talked to the players, to the teams, to the team owners, to the coaches. Uh, they interviewed people from across the industry, um, had call-ins. Like, no one is, e- as far as I can tell, I'm probably going to piss off somebody who's like, come on, man do my best but um i don't feel like anyone has done even a, or had, has made a real attempt at replacing that show um i think even for individual games there is a real lack like some games have good talk shows but pretty rare um some games have you know again you'll find a youtube channel which does highlights really well but like where do you find that unless you're just searching and searching and searching like mm-hmm. there's no good way to like discover all this all this content that fills the gaps and makes esports in- interesting, you know, twenty four seven. Yeah, definitely. It's it gets us the aggregate of information, right? And it once again goes back to the fragmented nature of things being everywhere, and it's hard to understand. There's, you know, there's no clear pathways, especially in a developing region like where I'm situated. It's very hard to understand. You know, okay, I'm 13 years old. How do I become the next? professional player you know how do how do i become the next taco playing on stage in csgo and global leagues or how to become the next samael at the dota 2 international winning at such a young age it's not very easy to understand that you need to play in your local high school leagues and mm-hmm. you know then progress to maybe a high school tournament structure then to your local leagues you know professional training personal training before you can then get into a feeder team that feeds into evil geniuses or you know someone of the like so i agree and i think you know that's that's been a trend for what we've talked about a lot in, throughout this whole podcast, uh, you know, episode 24, really kind of driving down, there is fragmentation. So there's, you know, a possibility for someone to be that aggregate in the market. Maybe there's a, a space for someone like Gimlet Media to come in and, and create a podcast. And you're definitely right. I, I don't listen to any other esports podcasts and I listen to a lot of podcasts. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's I'm, I'm listening to podcasts all the time. I would die for one, man. I love it. I am positive it could be successful, but, mm. you know, there's a lack. 
Changing the tact of discussion a little bit more to yourself um, and your professional life, this is a, a discussion that we had quite extensively with, with Mitch Uber-Leslie, I think it was episode 21, who's a commentator, an Aussie commentator now for the Overwatch World League and an analyst and stage host, about setting your value. So, so you as an analyst and a consultant within this space, how do you go about setting your value when talking to brands in regards to understanding how much you charge them, how much work you should be doing and what your time's actually worth? Well, I am new to this. I've only been doing advising and consulting for a couple of months. Um, I think, though, that if you do have 10 years of experience working in esports, not just like as a casual uh, side project, but full time working in esports, that's super rare. So, I mean, there's there's not a lot of people who have that much time. Um, So Mm -hmm. when somebody's asking me for for my time and my knowledge it's uh and i think this is fairly common for advisor situations across the board whether that's in tech or healthcare or whatever uh, i think you're often paying the person equally as much just to get access to their brain and their connections as you are for them to go in and like create a project for you um I think there's a, a thousand different ways of structuring consulting and advising gigs, but mm-hmm. uh, that that's certainly what what I think I bring to the table, um, especially because my time is very limited. So I'm really not able to say, okay, I will spend five hours a week, um, you know, on this project or whatever. Um, but what I can do is give you my advice, give you direction. Uh, you can ask me questions anytime. Uh, a, via email or or whatever, and I'll respond when I when I can. We can set up a monthly or weekly call, uh, and I can give you access to my network. And like that's a ton of value for almost anyone. That like it, unless they're also old school esports people who have that knowledge just endemic, um, then I think that's just a crazy amount of value. Um, even even if you don't have ten years or even five years, but You've been a hardcore esports fan, and you're you're a couple of years into working in the industry, and you really, 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 truly get it. You see the trends, you understand where the industry is going. Your value as an advisor uh, is that knowledge and that understanding. Um, at least that's how I I personally like to do it because I don't have a lot of free time, so I can't really commit to doing a, a ton of other stuff. So, I mean, that's how you should think about your value. Do do how much is your knowledge and expertise and connections really worth to somebody that doesn't have those knowledge, exp- expertise and connections? And I think a lot of the time mm. you'll find it's worth a lot more than, uh, than people really think. Um, just go to the bargaining table willing to actually bargain, I guess, is, is one piece of advice. You, you got to push a little bit. Don't, don't accept the first offer. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely some great advice. You've, you've obviously thought about this one too, which is great. So for, for anyone that wants to keep up with your antics on social media, like you said, you're quite active or wants to keep up to date with this new project that you alluded to, where can they follow you online? Sure. I am fish sticks on Twitter. That's one word. And with an X, that's probably the best place to follow me. I have actually been writing a couple articles uh, over the last few weeks just for fun uh, because I really enjoy it. So I have a Medium blog as well, um, but you can just find all of the links to that on my Twitter. Uh, I actually am hoping, I uh, before Overwatch League Season 1, I wrote a stupidly long article about my expectations for Overwatch uh, for the first season. So I thought it would be fun to write an article before Season 2 starts, revisiting that first blog, seeing where I was right, seeing where I was wrong, and then making similar predictions for next season. So... I do hope to get that out uh, before before the league starts this this weekend, I believe, or actually this week. So uh, within the next day or two, I'm hoping to get this thing out. So you know, you can check my Twitter or search for Fish Sticks on Medium as well. And I would say those are the places. You know, I, I believe me when I get closer to launching my project, I'm going to be spamming about it. So if you want to know what I'm up to, uh, definitely make sure to follow. We'll make sure to signal boost that for you as well. No problem. Well, thanks for coming in today. It's it's obvious that you've uh, pre-prepared for a lot of the questions that we've, you know, that we've provided to you and you're definitely a wealth of knowledge within the market. It's been fantastic chatting to you. 
Yeah, awesome. I will take any opportunity at all to blab about esports. Fantastic. We'll make sure to take advantage of that. And for anybody listening in today, if you want to head back to check out the show notes, any links to, to Ben and what he's doing or revisit any of the questions, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 24 and that takes you straight to the episode. That's 24 is in the number 24. Thanks for listening. As always, these episodes will come out every Thursday. So we'll see you in the next one. Thanks and bye for now. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.